Amen. Thank you. Once again, we welcome to you our service of worship this morning. I'd like to share a few announcements with you as we get started here. Uh, first is, is again, an invitation for you to go onto our First Church website, firstchurchnk.org. Uh, you can find our bulletin there if you'd like to follow along with our order of service this morning, as well as the, the, the lyrics for the music we're going to be singing together are all included in the bulletin. In addition to that, there's several announcements there, and I want to highlight just a couple of those for you this morning. Uh, one is a new scripture reading plan that is available this week. Uh, the, it's all focusing on the attributes of God. And so there's a, a graphic in the bulletin, uh, as well as this afternoon on our Facebook page, those same scripture passages will be posted. I encourage you uh, to continue to dig into God's word together as a family and as a church family. I also want to remind you about the options for giving and staying connected here at the church. Uh, Of course, you can always reach out to us on our Facebook page or church website or contact us here at the office. Um, And and we are just so grateful and thankful for your continued support of our ministry, as well as uh, the other options we've had available for giving over these last few weeks. Today's offering is our annual offering to support our daily bread soup kitchen in Lima. And and we also have the opportunity to support... uh, um, Agape Ministries in St. Mary's through our virtual blue jug. That's how you, the text giving and information about all of that is found in the bulletin. So once again, I encourage you to take a moment and do that. But I, I do want to just take a moment and just thank you, our church family, for your continued support and generosity, not just to the church, but to these other organizations that are doing some very important work during this time. Thank you, and, and thank you for allowing, allowing God to work in and through you to bless those uh, in our community and around our world. This time I want to invite Pastor Tori forward for our call to worship. Our call to worship this morning comes from Psalm 98. Sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made his salvation known and revealed his righteousness to the nations. He has remembered his love and his faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Burst into jubilant songs with music. Make music to the Lord with with the harp, with the harp and the sound of singing, with trumpets and the blast of the ram's horn. Shout for joy before the Lord, the King. Let the sea resound and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains sing together for joy. Let them sing before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples with equity. At this time, please join us in singing our praise song, Lord, I Need You. The the words are written in your bulletin.
for sure. This time I'm going to invite forward Maria. She's going to be, she's here with us this morning uh, to share a children's chat. It's so nice to have her back with us. And I know she's been missing uh, children's faces and she's, uh, although she can't see you, unfortunately, you'll be able to see here this morning. So thank you all for, thank you, Maria, for being here. Good morning. You know, Pastor Joel is right. I sure do miss my little people, my little people that join me here and my little people that join me at preschool. But you know what? It's going to be okay. We're going to get through this. So today I want to ask you a question. What is a foundation? Who, who needs a foundation? Well, let's think about when we're building with blocks. When we build with blocks, we want to start out with the biggest block on the bottom, So that way, as we build higher and higher, we have that good foundation at the bottom. Okay, well, I brought with me some things today that are part of our daily lives. Okay, so basketball. Love our basketball here in New Knoxville. 
And then let's see, part of our daily life is our family. So we'll put our family on here. And homework. You got to do our homework. And oh, yes, food. Food seems to be in very, everybody is always hungry at my house. I don't know about at your house, but we snack all the time at my house now. So we got our food. Oh, we have our pets because they're important for us. Electronics. Can't forget our electronics. All right. What else do we have here? Oh, a book to read. And we have our Bible. Now, if I let go of my tower I just built, what's going to happen? It's going to fall down. We didn't start out with a very good foundation. So, in the Bible... It tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11, For no one can lay down any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. So let's try this. If Jesus is our foundation, and we're going to use Jesus and the Bible as that representation. So if we start out with Jesus as our foundation, okay? And we add on our family and our schoolwork and electronics and books. And we can't forget about our food. That's really important, isn't it, our food? And we top it all off. Watch this. Our foundation is strong because we started out with God Because God is our foundation, and if we keep him part of our everyday life, if we remember to pray, if we sing vacation Bible school songs, if we watch videos about Jesus and his stories, that is keeping us grounded, and that is our foundation, and that's what is going to help us get through until we can all be together again. So let's pray quick. Dear Heavenly Father, Thank you that I was able to come and share today. Please be with all of us. Keep us healthy. Keep us strong. And Lord, we really miss each other and want to get back together and worship together with you soon. Keep us safe and healthy. In your name, amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Maria. So good to have you with us again this morning. So we go to the Lord in prayer. I want to invite you to remember those who uh, have gone before us uh, this past week. Those lost in our service uh, in Texas, Private Glendon Oakley, 23, in Alaska, Sergeant Cody Randall, 28, and Specialist Malik Craig, 20. Uh, we also remember those uh, who, have, who have passed due to the coronavirus pandemic. Um, in the United States, as of yesterday, more than 34,000 individuals, and in the world, more than 155,000 individuals have died as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic, and we want to, of course, keep the families of all those affected in our prayers. In addition, we also want to keep the family of Mary Ketter Heinrich in our prayers. She passed this past week as well, and so we encourage you to be praying for her family also. Let's go to the Lord together in prayer. Father God, you are a God of life. You are a, a God who gives, um, gives life. And we come off, Lord, this, during this Easter season, coming off Easter Sunday, remembering your resurrection and celebrating uh, that you have conquered death and sin and the grave. 
that through Jesus Christ you have made life and eternal life available to all who believe. And so even in the face of a global pandemic, even in the face of the loss of loved ones, we lift up our praises to you and set our sights on you because in you you have made eternal life available to us all. Lord, we thank you for that good gift. We thank you for that hope, which is like an anchor for our soul, that you do not leave us to our own devices. You do not despise us, Lord, but you loved us with such a great love that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die and to live again so that we may be redeemed. We may be brought back into a relationship with you. Lord, there's no greater hope than that. There's no greater foundation to build on than that. Lord, we, we know and believe and trust that your goodness and love are not dependent on our circumstances, that no matter what is going on in the world around us, no matter what is going on in our own communities or even in our own personal lives, your love is stronger than our circumstances. Your grace and your mercy is greater than any hardship or suffering we may face. Lord, we don't, that doesn't take away the pain. That doesn't take away the, the difficulty of what we may be facing but it does give us hope in the midst of it. It gives us something to hold on to in the midst of the storm. And so, Lord, we worship you and, and praise you for that hope and that secure foundation that we can have only in you. Lord, we pray for, um, we'll pray for our community, pray for our, our nation and our world. And we pray, think especially of those who are in decision-making uh, positions, whether they're government leaders or school leaders, um, leaders of other churches and organizations, um, small business owners, Lord. There's just so much out there and, and, and so many decisions that need to be made for, for the health and safety of, uh, of our communities, as well as, Lord, for, for where to go next and what the next steps are to take. And so we ask that your spirit would give wisdom to those in those positions of authority. We pray for your spirit to guide them. And, Lord, may, may the decisions we make, especially from our perspective as a church, Lord, for, for the, how we conduct ourselves, may, may the decisions we make bring honor and glory to you. And may we do follow where you are leading us to go. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. This time, let's join our voices together once again and sing uh, number 350, Tis So Sweet to Trust in Jesus.
Our scripture reading today is from the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. As we take a look at scripture this morning, we're going to be looking at uh, quite a bit of the the book of Ecclesiastes. We're going to start by reading this passage here, but if you have a Bible with you at home or wherever you happen to be right now, I encourage you to open your passage, open your Bible to this passage with us this morning and kind of keep your, keep a finger there, keep a bookmark there in the book of Ecclesiastes because we're going to be looking at several different passages throughout the book and taking a look at it from a uh, kind of a big picture perspective this morning. But we're going to begin by reading Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, where they return again. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its full fill of hearing. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something new? It was here today, long ago. It was here before our time. No one remembers the former generations, and even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. Let's go to the Lord in prayer together. Father God, we thank you that we have the opportunity to open your word together this morning. As we look at a at this book, Lord, as we look at Ecclesiastes together, may you give us wisdom to see, Lord, um, you at work in this and you at work in our world today. Lord, help us to build a firm foundation on on you and the work that Jesus did for us on the cross, Lord, because we know that 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 in this life, Lord, we, things can be can be stripped and taken away from us. And so, Lord, as we look at your word together, may you bring to light those things, Lord, where we are, um, where we are placing our, our misplacing our hope. And may we turn ultimately, Lord, to you and your goodness. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So as we take a look, we're going to be looking at um, foundations over these next couple weeks. We're just doing a, a little two-week mini-series here called uh, Christ the Cornerstone and looking at how, uh, how we want to build our lives on a foundation that will last. Uh, Maria had a wonderful children's chat here this morning talking about how, and, and really it's a great picture of what we're going to be talking about today, that when we build our lives on foundations apart from Christ, they will ultimately fail us. I mean, look at what we've been experiencing in our world these past few weeks. We are uh, about a month or so, a little bit more than a month into uh, the, the, the shutdown and the restrictions that have been in place due to this global pandemic. Um, and a lot has certainly changed during this time. Uh, some things may be not so serious, right? Sporting events have been canceled. Concerts have been canceled. I'm a big sports fan. Allie will, will tell you that for sure. Uh, and, and my favorite sport to follow is baseball. Uh, and so my birthday was earlier this month in April and, and 
back at the beginning of the year, I was thinking about what I wanted to do to celebrate my birthday. And while my favorite team is the St. Louis Cardinals, and they happen to be in Cincinnati for opening day, and I was looking ahead and thinking, yeah, maybe I'll buy a ticket to the game and go watch opening my favorite team on opening day. Uh, then I looked at the price of the tickets and decided that was not a great idea. And thankfully so, because uh, obviously opening day never happened. It still hasn't happened. Um, there's been a lot of uh, kind of leisure activities, I guess you can say, that have gone by the wayside. Sporting events, concerts, other things like that have been put on hold because of what's going on. Um, a little bit more serious, though, are, are some other things that have have really shaken our foundations. Um, maybe you've lost a job or you know someone whose job is on furlough. Uh, you have, uh, if anybody's looked at their 401k lately or dealt with uh, their, their investments, we know that those things have, have bottomed out here. Uh, maybe, you have, maybe you yourself are dealing with health problems as a result of this pandemic. Right, even something as simple as leaving your house and walking around the grocery store is no longer an easy thing to do. Life as we know it has been completely upended and changed. And, and, it, and if we are basing our lives, if our entire lives are found on those things, on whether we get to watch opening day baseball, whether we get to go to the grocery store, or what the size of our 401k is, right? those things have all been in one way or another taken away from us have been reduced as a result of everything that's going on here. And so today what I want to do for us as we start this series is today look at these shaky foundations. And we're going to be looking at, as I mentioned, the book of Ecclesiastes. Because the author here, he right from the get-go, reminds us that, that everything under the sun is ultimately meaningless. It sounds like a pretty... Uh, a dour perspective, doesn't it? It seems like uh, something that we would not necessarily find in the pages of our Bible, but here it is. And it's there, I think, for a reason. Obviously, God provided it to us to teach us something. And so today, we're going to be looking at these shaky foundations and why they are not, it is not a good idea to build our lives on these things. The author of Ecclesiastes has several different uh, topics that he goes through throughout the book. Uh, and, and we're going to talk about what God is calling us to do as a result of that. And the next week, we're going to be looking at how we then build our lives on the foundation of Christ. And so uh, if you are just tuning in today, I encourage you to tune back in next week as well, because we really are looking at kind of part one and part two of a message here. And I don't want to, to leave you with a sour note today. But there is hope, and we will see that even here in the book of Ecclesiastes, um, uh, there's hope for a, a foundation that will last, something we can truly build our lives upon. And so let's take a look at the book of Ecclesiastes together. And these opening verses really kind of lay out the main theme of this book as a whole for us. Right there in verse 2, the author says, Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. That phrase is repeated over and over and over again throughout the book of Ecclesiastes. In fact, that, that phrase meaningless is used 35 times in the 12 chapters that uh, comprise this book. And the word meaningless there is actually a word that, that means uh, vapor. Uh, and there, and, it's, and it's, it means like insignificant nothingness. Right. Think of think of what it means to to see a wisp of, of water vapor coming off of uh, a boiling pot on your stove. Right. It's there for a moment, but then it is gone. 
right? It's, it's insignificant in the long run. It's temporary. It amounts to nothing. Uh, when my family moved here into this area a few years ago, uh, I experienced something brand new that I'd never seen, had before in the other areas I've lived in Western New York and in other parts of Ohio. And that is the fog delay for schools, right? That is, that happens around here a lot, doesn't it? You wake up in the morning and there's just fog everywhere, so much so that it, 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 the visibility is hindered so much that it's not safe for the school buses to go out and pick up kids. And so there's two hour, three hour delays. And sometimes even school canceled for the day as a result of this fog. But what happens by mid-morning? What happens by, by lunchtime, right? The sun comes out, uh, the, the heat of the sun dissipates the, the fog, and, it, and sometimes you have these beautiful afternoons uh, free of school because of the fog. Um, that's kind of what the author is getting at here when he talks about uh, using vapor as an analogy for, for meaninglessness. Right. It's 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 here today and it's gone tomorrow. It's, it lasts for just a moment. And in the long run, it is insignificant. Meaningless, meaningless. It's all meaningless. Right. And, he, and nothing, nothing is outside of his condemnation here. He says everything is meaningless. Right. That doesn't mean just a few things. That doesn't mean just just the things he disagrees with. It means everything. Nothing escapes his condemnation here. And he, and he emphasizes it over and over again here. Uh, he, he repeats it himself, meaningless, meaningless. And there's that phrase, utterly meaningless. In the original Hebrew, one of the ways to, to put a strong emphasis on something was to, to basically repeat the, word, uh, repeat the word in the text. And so you get passages that talk about the Holy of Holies, for example, is the very center of the tabernacle and the temple, what was considered the most holy place on earth. And so to... Uh, emphasize just how holy and special that place was, uh, it would, it would basically call the, it, if you were to translate it literally, would just say the holy holies. Or we as in English would say the most holy place or the holy of holies. We see that several times in scripture. The song of songs, for example, is another use of it. Or, uh, describing Jesus as king of kings and lord of lords. He is the greatest king. Not just any king, but the greatest king. And so as the author here says, meaningless, meaningless, utterly meaningless, the emphasis there is he's making a point for us that, that everything in all of life, all under the sun, is utterly meaningless. It's a hard, it's a, it's a very disappointing kind of introduction to a book in the Bible, if you think about it. It lays the groundwork there for, okay, so what's the point then, right? Why, why do we pursue after things? Why do we live our life if everything is ultimately meaningless? We'll get to that question here in just a moment. But before, before the author of Ecclesiastes really answers that question, he lays out for us some of the things that he's talking about here. And he goes through a lot of li- a list of things that, that were relevant in his time and are still relevant for us today. And so I want to take a few moments and kind of highlight some of the things that he considers meaningless and how they, how we can see they apply to us as well. And so the first thing he addresses here, well, in chapter two is, is the idea of pleasure and materialism. In chapter two, beginning verse one, he says, I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is madness. And what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly, my mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was good for for people to do under the heavens during the few days of their lives. 
I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired a male and female singers and a harem as well, the delights of a man's heart. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me, and all this my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my, heart, I refused my heart's no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for all my toil. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. See, this author identifies himself with, with Solomon and, and the splendor and the, and the wealth and the, and the pleasure that he was able to uh, amass for himself during his rule. Uh, he, he gave himself over to things like drinking wine, to building projects. He even had slaves and servants. He gave himself over to physical pleasure. He refused himself nothing, and yet he ultimately found them to be void of meaning. It says nothing was gained, and in the end, that too was meaningless, right? How, how many of us give ourselves over to the pursuit of, of uh, materialistic pleasure, whether, whether that's trying to gain as much wealth as possible, whether that's trying to, to find the most enjoyable experience possible, maybe that's giving ourselves over to things like alcohol or drugs or other addictive substances, right? All trying to find an escape, trying to find joy, trying to find meaning in something that will give us pleasure, but ultimately, he comes to the conclusion, and most people who experience that for themselves realize that, that ultimately the meaning is not found there. All right, Solomon, or excuse me, the author here even goes on to describe how wealth itself, riches, are meaningless as well. In, five, in chapter 5, uh, verses 18 through 20, excuse me, chapter 5, beginning with verse 10. Uh, He says, Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This, too, is meaningless. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. And what benefit are they to the owners except to feast their eyes on them? The sleep of a laborer is sweet, whether they eat little or much. But as for the rich, their abundance permits them no sleep. I have seen a grievous evil under the sun, wealth hoarded to the harm of owners, or wealth lost through some misfortune, so that when they have children, there is nothing left for them to inherit. Everyone comes naked from their mother's womb, and everyone comes, and as everyone comes, so they depart. They take nothing from their toil that they can carry in their hands. This, too, is a grievous evil. As everyone comes, so they depart, and what, they do, and what do they gain since they toil for the wind? All the days they eat in darkness with great frustration, affliction, and anger. See, the author even recognized that even the accumulation of wealth eventually leads to nothing. Right? Even, even as we come into this world, he says, right? we come into this world, nothing will depart with nothing. Right? We can't take our bank accounts with us. We can't take our, our 401ks with us. We can't take all of our possessions with us. As we, when we depart from this world, we'll take none of those material possessions with us, so ultimately they can't satisfy us either. Right? There's always someone 
who has more money, a bigger house, a better job, we're never going to be truly satisfied. In chapter 6, verse 7, he says, everyone's toil is for their mouth, yet their appetite is never satisfied. Right? We can never have enough. When we base our life on the accumulation of wealth, on the accumulation of material things, on the accumulation of an experience of pleasure, it's never going to be enough for us. See, when we focus our lives on, on, on pride and greed, right, we're never just satisfied with what we have. We can only be happy in comparing ourselves to others. And no one ever truly wins that game. Right? If I'm, if I'm overcome with pride or overcome with greed, it's not enough to just be happy with what I have. I need to have more than someone else. Right? I need to have a bigger house, a bigger car, a bigger bank account than the next person. And there's always going to be someone in this world that has more than you. Right? There's always going to be someone who has a better or so-called better, you know, better life. And, and we are always going to be overcome with greed and jealousy if that's what our main focus is. But success can even distract us from God, God himself. Again, in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, in verse 18, the author says this. He says, this is what I observe to be good, that it is appropriate for a person to eat, to drink, and to find satisfaction in their toilsome labor under the sun during the few days of life God has given them, for this is their lot. Moreover, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, to accept their lot and be happy in their toil, this is a gift from God. They seldom reflect on the days of their life because God keeps them occupied with gladness of heart. So he says the the best that we can do with what we have is to enjoy what God has given us because ultimately everything is a gift from God to begin with. But even that gift, even even the ability to enjoy our possessions and accumulate wealth can itself become a distraction Notice he says there that, that they seldom reflect on the days of their life because God keeps them occupied with gladness of heart. In other words, our joy, or excuse me, the satisfaction that we can find in these things can ultimately distract us from the true meaning and true purpose of life, and that is our relationship with God. See, Paul understood this as well. He understood that putting value and putting purpose and meaning in, in, in things of the flesh ultimately will fail us. In Philippians chapter 3, he lists off a a list of accomplishments, uh, things that he could boast about. In Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 4, he says, If someone else thinks they have more reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal persecuting the church, As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participate in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. See, Paul experienced that for himself. He experienced success. He experienced uh, uh, good works and, and even wealth. And he realized he, he was able to come to the conclusion finally that, that they were worth nothing compared to knowing Christ. 
that all that he had gained in this life, he could consider garbage compared to knowing Christ. Now, that does not mean those things are inherently bad or evil, right? It's, money itself is not evil. Wealth is not evil. Experiencing joy and pleasure in this life is not evil. It's, it's when we put those things in place of a pursuit of God, in place of a relationship with Him, that they become meaningless. They become worthless and will ultimately fail us in the end. So beyond, uh, so the author here of Ecclesiastes says that, that material possessions and wealth and pleasure are meaningless, but he also says work itself can become meaningless. And again, back in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, beginning of verse 17, he says, So I hated life because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. I hated all the things I had toiled for under the sun because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. And who knows whether that person will be wise or foolish, yet they will have control over all the fruit of my labor, excuse me, of my toil into which I have poured my effort and skill under the sun. This too is meaningless. So my heart began to despair over all my toilsome labor under the sun. For a person may labor with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, and then they must leave all they own to another who has not toiled for it. This too is meaningless and a great misfortune. What do people get for all that the toil and anxious striving for which they labor under the sun? All the days their work is grief and pain. Even at night their minds do not rest. This too is meaningless. So even the work itself, he says, can be meaningless. Do you guys know anyone or, or maybe you yourself have found all of your worth and identity and purpose in your job, striving to become the best person you can be in that position, striving to, after that promotion, one promotion after another, seeking to, seeking to define yourself by your job title. Right? Ultimately, what, what the author is coming to the conclusion here is, is as we pursue those things, even as we pursue a better job and a better title and a better promotion and a better paycheck, right? All of those things become meaningless when we look at it from eternity's perspective, right? When this life is over, everything we own, everything we possess will be left to someone else. Again, just like with the wealth and possessions, it's, it's a recognition that we can't take our stuff with us when we go. And so... And so when we put all of our hope and our meaning in things that are temporary, they will ultimately fail us as well. There's a joke I heard once, a story about this uh, old man who was very greedy, very cruel, and he had accumulated a lot of wealth over the course of his life. Uh, the, the little family he had... Uh, kind of despised him for it because he, when he, when the time came for him to die, he put in his will that he wanted to hoard all of his wealth and be buried with it. Right? He didn't want to leave any of it to anybody, not even his own wife or children. So in his old age, when the time had finally come, he had put all of his affairs in order and then he died. And as his wife was widow now, was making arrangements, uh, the executor of the will pointed out that that all of uh, that part of his requirement was that all of the wealth needed to be buried with him. And so when the day of the funeral came and the casket was being lowered into the grave, somebody commented that, that the, the casket was empty besides, you know, the body. 
So the wife looked and says, oh, you're right. I did promise him I'd give him, I'd, I'd bury him with all his wealth. And so she took out a checkbook, wrote a check, and set it in the grave with him. And says, there, I wrote him a check. Right? There's, we can't take our wealth with us. We can't um, go to the grave with our possessions. They will ultimately be left in someone else's care, whether we want them to be or not. Right, think of King Tut's grave and his tomb when it was opened thousands of years later. All the possessions that he was buried with, all the things that he was supposed to take with him to the afterlife were still there waiting to be discovered. No matter how hard we work, no matter how much we accumulate, it is only temporary. The last thing that the author here, among other things, but the last thing I want to point out for us today that the author of Ecclesiastes declares as meaningless is wisdom itself. And again, that seems strange coming from a book in the Bible where other books and and the rest of Scripture attest to the value of wisdom. Think of passages like Proverbs chapter 3, verses 13 through 15. Blessed are those who find wisdom, those who gain understanding, for she is more profitable than silver and yields better returns than gold. She is more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with her. But Ecclesiastes sets a little bit of a different tone for us in chapter 2, verses 12 through 16. He says, Then I turned my, heart, my thoughts to consider wisdom and also madness and folly. What more can the king's successor do than what has already been done? I saw that wisdom is better than folly, just as light is better than darkness. The wise have eyes in their heads while the fool walks in the darkness. But I came to realize that the same fate overtakes them both. Then I said to myself, the fate of the fool will overtake me also. What then do I gain from being wise? I said to myself, this too is meaningless. For the wise like the fool will not be long remembered. The days have already come when both have been forgotten. Like the fool, the wise too must die. All right, the author here acknowledges that wisdom does have value in this life, right? A wise person is much better off than a fool when it comes to how to live life with the time and the resources that we have. It is certainly better to be found with wisdom than with folly. But he says that wisdom is too meaningless because the same fate comes for both the wise person and the foolish person. Right? No matter how wise you are, no matter how much knowledge you've accumulated, no matter how well, uh, how well you are putting those things into practice, none of us can escape death, right? None of us can escape that fate. In fact, that's one of the reasons why all of these foundations are shaky to begin with. The one, one of the things that they all have in common is that, is that our lives will all end in death, right? For the wise and the fool. In chapter 3, verses 18 through 21, he, he reflects on how death comes for human and animal alike. And even in chapter 9, verses 1 through 12, he reflects on how how both the righteous and the unrighteous suffer the same fate. And so so it comes for us all, the wise and the fool, the human and the animal, even the righteous and the unrighteous all suffer the same fate. Death is the great equalizer. So therefore, what, what good is it to build our foundation on these sorts of things? If all of these things will ultimately fail us, if all of these things will eventually be stripped away and taken from us, then where do we find meaning and purpose? If our lives are seemingly random and unjust, right? the world doesn't operate on a straightforward cause and effect system. 
All right, we see that in, in Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verses 9 through 17, this idea that, that good things happen to bad people and bad things happen to good people, right? Where's the justice? Where's the, where's the, the, the value in that? Right? Even as we try to live as, as righteous and, just, and, and justly and wise as possible, bad things can still happen to us. All of these things, all these foundations we've talked about are also ultimately temporary. Your accomplishments, as the author has noted, will be left in someone else's hands. Right? And even puts things into perspective, that passage we just read from Ecclesiastes 2, right? Very little, if anything, about your life will be remembered in a hundred years. Right? That's kind of a sobering thought, isn't it? That what we're doing today, what we're doing, if we build our lives on the accumulation of wealth, of pleasure, of work, even of human wisdom, right? All of those things will eventually fade away to nothingness. Death is that great equalizer for us all. I've heard plenty of stories of people that have uh, been in the last moments of their life. They knew that it was coming. And very few of them regretted spending more time on the job. Very few of them regretted, uh, you know, not pursuing that promotion or not not pursuing something uh, that would have accumulated them more wealth. Most people in that moment, when they realize their time has come, the regrets that they have are, are based on relationships, based on, on, on family, of friends, and faith. You see, all these other foundations that we can build our lives on, the Bible has another term for those things. They're idols. The same word that, that the author of Ecclesiastes uses over and over again, meaningless, meaningless, utterly meaningless, the Bible also uses to describe Idols, those things that we put in place of God in our lives. Think of Second Kings chapter 17, verses 14 through 15. It says, They would not listen. They were as stiff-necked as their ancestors who did not trust in the Lord their God. They rejected his decrees and the covenant he had made with their ancestors and the statutes he had warned them to keep. They followed worthless idols, and they themselves became worthless. See, we are, we become what we worship. When we base our lives on things that will ultimately fail us, that won't last, that are here today and gone tomorrow, then our lives will, will reflect that reality as well. Anything we add to Jesus or, or try to replace Him with in order to make us happy is ultimately an idol. Alright, ask yourself this. What's the one thing that you say you cannot live without? What's that one thing that you said, if I only had that, then I would finally be happy? Right? That thing is your idol. That's the shaky foundation that you are building your life upon. And Scripture's clear that as we put our trust in idols, God will eventually give us what we ask for. In Romans chapter 1, verses 24 and 25 Paul says, therefore, God gave them over to their sinful desires of their hearts, to sexual impurity, for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. Notice there what scripture says, and that phrase is used in other places as well, that God gave them over to their desires, right? C.S. Lewis once said that there are two kinds of people in this world, those, to, those who say to God, may your will be done, and those to whom God says, okay, let your will be done. 
Right? If we're pursuing idols, if we're basing our lives on shaky foundations like wealth and the pursuit of pleasure and joy and the limited things of this world, then, then God will give us over to those things. And we ourselves will base our lives on shaky foundations that will ultimately fail us. And so the question then for us to consider as we, as we turn our attention back to Ecclesiastes then is, is what's, the, what's the purpose then? Is everything truly meaningless? Is there no purpose to life? Is there nothing that we can base our lives on that will give us a solid, firm foundation? Of course, we know from, not only from Ecclesiastes, but the testimony of Scripture as a whole, that there is something we can base our lives on, and that is a relationship with God. Just as the author of Ecclesiastes uses the phrase meaningless, meaningless over and over again, he uses another phrase that clues us into this. 29 times throughout the book, he uses the phrase, under the sun. That everything is meaningless, everything is a chasing after the wind. All this toil is for naught under the sun. See, the key to understanding the teacher's perspective is this phrase. And under the sun is a way to describe the material world, that, that what you see is what you get. Right? Let's think about how people view the world apart from God, right? Uh, think about... Um, Looking at the world from a, a godless perspective, when all you see under the sun is all you get, right? That sort of perspective means that we are here just by random chance, right? We are just a happy accident. Life came about by accident, and, and therefore there is no meaning or purpose to it to begin with. And when we die, we are just gone. We become nothing again, and therefore there is no meaning after our deaths as well. Right? If there's no meaning to our creation, if there's no meaning to our, 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 our deaths, then there must therefore be no meaning or significance to our lives as well. Right? That's what the author of Ecclesiastes is getting at here. And so the only way then we can find real meaning and real purpose and real significance is not in those things that are found under the sun, but we need to look beyond that, beyond the material, and fix our eyes on Christ. You see, the key to finding meaning in life, the key to avoid being lost in despair and hopelessness is to set your sights on something that's not under the sun. If everything under the sun is utterly meaningless, then the, utterly meaningless, then the only thing left for us to do is to look to God. He is the one who could bring meaning and purpose to our lives. See, the resurrection is the key. The teacher's main argument throughout Ecclesiastes has been that the death is that death has the final say. You die and that's it. But the resurrection proves otherwise for us. The resurrection says that death does not win. It says that the tomb is empty and that there is meaning and purpose in life because it carries eternal significance. What you do in this life matters because it has lasting significance in this life and in the next. 1 Corinthians 15, 20, 12 through 22 talks about how, how if our hope is only for this life, then our faith is futile, it is useless, and we are above all men to be pitied. But he goes on to say that that is not the case, that Christ has been raised from the dead, and that our, our faith is not just for this life, but it is for the next as well. And therefore we have hope. All right, hope in God does not deny the pain and the suffering that we experience in this world. It doesn't, it doesn't deny the apparent meaninglessness we experience, but it does give us a framework to better understand it. 
Ecclesiastes is never once quoted in the New Testament, but there is a passage in Romans that kind of alludes to this idea. In, in Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 21, Paul says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation awaits an eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of whom of one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. That same word frustrated, creation has been frustrated, um, is actually the same word that is used when the Old Testament is translated into the Greek uh, for meaninglessness. So, so frustrated creation, it's, it's, it seems to be lost and meaningless, subject to meaninglessness, but there is hope because God will restore it and restore us one day. And so therefore, we, can't, we don't base our lives on those shaky foundations. We base our lives on Christ. And the author of Ecclesiastes says there's two things that we can do. We can enjoy life as we're able to do so. All right, in chapter 3, uh, he says that God has made everything beautiful in its time. He's also set eternity in the human heart. Yet who can fathom what God has done from beginning to end? I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live, that they may eat and drink and find satisfaction in their toil. This is the gift from God. So in the everyday life, in the experiences that seem hopeless and lost and, and meaning, meaningless, we can find joy not in and of those things themselves, but in, in the recognition that those things are a gift from God. Life itself is a gift from God. And finally, in conclusion, in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, the final verses of this passage remind us to set our sights beyond this world and on God. In chapter 12, verses 13 to 14, he says, Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. As we face shaky foundations in this world, as everything is upended, we recognize that the reason we can have hope, the reason we can have a firm foundation, isn't in those things that are taken away from us, but it is in the one who can never be taken away. It is in the relationship with God that, that is stronger and more powerful even than death itself and experiencing the love that comes from him. And next week we'll talk more about what that means for us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you that you have given us hope in Christ, that though our world seems to be falling apart around us, the one thing that can never be taken away is our relationship with you and the hope we have uh, in Christ. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. In closing, let's stand and sing our praise song, Cornerstone. The words, again, are in your bulletin.
bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen.